1: This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we'll look ahead to the Champions League final between Liverpool and Real Madrid and ask who will win the battle between Vinicius Junior and Trent Alexander-Arnold. We'll discuss Roma's win in the Europa Conference League final and what Jose Mourinho could do as their manager in the future, as well as what happens next at Paris Saint-Germain after Kylian Mbappe's huge new contract. We'll be introduced to Eric Ten Hag as Manchester United boss and look ahead to the Championship playoff final This is The Game. Hello again. Welcome back to The Game Podcast. I'm Hugh Wissancroft alongside Ian Hawkey and Alison Rudd. With one huge game, one final hurdle of the season to leap over the Champions League final. The end is in sight. Saturday's Paris showpiece, of course, between Liverpool and Real Madrid. It's a repeat of the final four years ago in Kiev which Madrid won 3-1. Mo Salah, firstly, let's get to him before we even talk about that match. Uh, He says he's going to stay next season, his contract until June 2023. He hasn't, though, committed to a, a contract beyond them. So, Alison Rudd, I'll start with you. Is it to be one final year of Mo Salah?
2: Uh, well we should be very grateful if it is one final year i don't think it necessarily is though i mean i think his agent would slap him around the face if he started saying things like i'm staying beyond the end of my contract because that's bad negotiation isn't it reminds me a lot of my mother who's just just bid on a house and bid 25000 pounds over the asking price because she she thought that she thought that's what you did i mean ridiculous so <laughs> no they have to they have to yeah bane of my life anyway i think this is as much as Mo Salah can say given all the things he's told not to say and but given that he's been a little bit obtuse and uh, mysterious prior to this statement I think it is positive it shouldn't, I mean, shouldn't it's, it's, it's bizarre if you were just arriving from um, the world of business and never taken any notice of football you'd think it was very peculiar that someone staying for the length of their contract was considered headline news but that's that's the way football is. He won't be allowed to say more. I think, honestly, I'm tired of the constant will they, won't they for all the big stars at any club. Let's just enjoy the time they're given on paper. Squeeze as much out of them as possible. They have very short careers. It all whizzes past so quickly. Before you know it, we'll be talking about Mo Salah being a bit old, bit slow, not, not what he was. Uh, so the window between that sort of hoping he extends his contract and we Liverpool can afford it, and everyone's happy, the money men are happy, that Mo Salah is happy, his agent is happy, his family are happy. That moment and everyone claiming that he's um, he's past it, you know that that will that will go by in the in the flash of an eye. So I, I let's let's enjoy it. Let's enjoy. it. If it is the final season, I have no reason to think why. Why wouldn't say they win the Champions League and then they keep progressing as they are and being innovative, which they are, wouldn't you be tempted if you were most sally to think, well, then we really can we really can win the title next season and I wanna stay with a club that is feared in Europe. So I'm not really sure where where he would go if it wasn't purely about the money. I'm not worried about whether it's a year or not. Let's enjoy the year.
1: Oh, well, it might just be one more game. Alison, that's the thing. With a year <laughs> left on your deal. You No, know, know, I, not-
2: I trust what he says,
1: Hugh. Okay, okay. All right. The thing is, uh, at the weekend, he could play a potential suitor. Remember, they've missed out Real Madrid on Kylian Mbappé. At most Salah signing could go a, a long way to appeasing the disappointed fans. That's all I'm going to say at this point in time, okay? The two big, huge European giants meeting in the final at the weekend – some saying Ian, that, that liverpool are looking a little bit tired in their last couple of games um a madrid in in better shape do you think
3: yes in the in the sense that their schedule over the, the last couple of weeks has been kinder you know they 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 won the league um and so they've you know they've they've had their feet up so to speak for since that happened and everyone is reported fit so you know that's that's something although i did notice <laughs> Gareth Bale doing some extra training on Tuesday, but frankly, that's not really relevant because Gareth was,
1: Bale- was he practising overhead
3: kicks? Then it might be relevant. <laughs> <laughs> no, he was doing his usual thing of sort of looking ornamental, um, <laughs> which is which is, I'm afraid, his role now. It's quite an expensive ornament, but you know. Uh, <laughs> yes, and and um, Eden Hazard, the other forgotten man, is also fit apparently, but again, that's that's probably a technicality because I don't think we'll. See much of him either so yeah i mean you know they are in, in good shape they don't i mean the elephant in the room really is whether is whether the mbappe snub has had a you know it's a blow to morale and i i, I mean i can't really imagine that in the dressing room they've all got long faces because of that but you know there's a sort of yeah you know there is a cloud over the place because of that
1: um, Alison, do you read anything to people saying that Liverpool have been tired over the past couple of games?
2: No, you see, I would I would turn that on its head and say <laughs> they've been playing in quarters and deliberately pacing themselves so that come Saturday night they're not tired. You know, there's no there's no point going hell for leather over ninety minutes in every match if you can try and manage it better than that. And I think that's what they've been doing. This was the first big lesson that Klopp learnt when he arrived here. He said, we can't play our heavy metal football for every minute of every game. We will become exhausted. He's been working ever since to make sure they maintain their philosophy, personality and style of play, but not feeling the need to have the accelerator, you know, flat on the floor for the whole whole season. So I don't, I think it's anticipation of how draining it is means they have they've gone down a few gears in the last few games and then turned it on when they've needed to, and that means ha ha that means they will look as fresh as daisies. When they were in the Stade de France.
1: Okay, all right. I'll take your word for it. Let's go to exactly where the game might be won and lost. Some of the key battles. Ian, you've written in the Times about the threat of Real Madrid Rodrigo, who has popped up with a couple of big goals uh, in the Champions League knockout stages. Why him? There's a big caveat here. We're only likely to see Rodrigo
3: if Liverpool have a lead. Uh, you know, he really is. He's he's the definition of superstar, or has been recently. Um, I think it's unlikely he'll start, but you know he has he has had this sort of magic touch coming off the bench in the in the last two rounds, and um, and he is good at that. You know he's he picks up on a game quickly off the bench, so he sort of he's become a specialist at that, which is you know probably not the role he wants, but um, uh, you yeah, know yeah he's he's a very handy person to bring on, but but as I say, I, you know we're, we're only really likely to see him if if Madrid are are trailing as they have been in every single knockout round and you know and to, to change the pace of things and and you know and and mount another comeback which they've been very good at but yeah i mean yeah he's 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 an interesting player um vinicius is much the more threatening player as a winger and i think i think he's vinicius against trent is is obviously a, a big individual duel. um it was one that vinicius won uh, last year, when Madrid knocked Liverpool out in the quarterfinals. and he's he's had a terrific season, Vinicius, um, and and he's a, you know he's a really thrilling player to watch, which is uh, he's one of the best. Best reasons to watch Real Madrid now, actually.
2: Oh, I agree with I agree with you, Ian, completely. There's um there's a YouTube video called 50 plus Fifty Plus Players Humiliated by Vinicius mm-hmm. Junior." He just does that. He doesn't necessarily have to be at it throughout a match, but he he will always turn it on at least one moment and be very lethal. I, I if I was. In charge of preparing the Liverpool team, he I would be spending a lot
3: of time looking at that YouTube video yeah.
2: and thinking, and, 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 okay, and, and, okay, and, we have to do
3: something here. And is Trent does Trent feature in the video?
2: Uh,
3: <laughs> probably,
2: <laughs> probably, because it's. I mean, he's. I don't think. I mean, players can do well and prepare and so on, but there'll always be a moment. I think that's that's why he's so dangerous. Is he can look like he's having a quiet game and people will use the word shackled which is what they do when someone's a winger but uh there's always there's always a moment isn't there i think i mean you've probably seen him in action more we well, have definitely see him in action more than me yeah. but don't you find even when he's having a so-called quiet game he will suddenly spurt
3: through yeah absolutely you, you're dead right you're dead right and um he's uh he really has grown this season he he used to be uh, i wouldn't say a joke but there were there was there was a There was a thing around Vinicius that, yeah, he would have one of these dazzling runs, super fast, dribble around people, and the finish would always be a disappointment. And that has really transformed. He's become quite a composed, cool finisher. So he's... You know, he's twice the player he was a year ago.
1: Didn't Karim Benzema have to deny telling his teammates not to pass to him? <laughs> Wasn't that one of the, the key things in his laughing stock sort of you know repertoire? Yes, yes,
3: it was. And it was difficult for Benzema to deny because there was footage of Benzema saying <laughs> to a teammate, <laughs> don't pass to Vinicius. He's, it's as if he's playing for the other side. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, so things have turned around for him, but I but do he's think- only, He's
2: only 21, which is, you know, of course he's growing as a player and learning he's going to get better isn't he
3: yeah absolutely i mean there's you know there's it will be interesting to see where he is when he's 25 um mm. there's a high chance we'll be talking about him as a, a ballon d'or candidate but you know he is he is a winger there's also a chance that we might be saying oh vinicius he got found out in 2023
1: or something you know? <laughs> the thing is i think vinicius versus alexander arnold down What's Liverpool's right, if you like, Real Madrid's left? And then, of course, the big two going head-to-head, Karim Benzema and Virgil van Dijk. For me, that that area coming in from Real Madrid's left-hand side, I think that's the most, I think that's where the game's going to be won lost, really. Whoever out of those two, if you like, the Real Madrid two or the Liverpool two, play the best, dominate the other, they will go on to, to win the game. Does anyone disagree or agree very strongly? I think I'll, I'll go down that road. Who, who really agrees with what I've had to say?
2: Well, if I can if I, I can paraphrase what you've said. I mean, I agree they're the key areas on the pitch, but I think it's about concentration. So I I think to stop Real Madrid, Liverpool have to be, and they, they're, they're not always at full concentration throughout the game. Because I think Real Madrid have players that, can take advantage of those moments when there's just a lapse in concentration. And I think Benzema's probably one of the world's best at that. He's one of those players who, if you're watching Real Madrid live, which I've been lucky enough to do, you you sometimes, you forget Benzema's there. He doesn't do a lot of harrying or running around. He does a lot of watching and absorbing what's going on and waiting for the right moment to pounce he's a hunter and he will spot a gap or someone being out of position or someone being distracted by something and he will he will act then he's very good at at picking a weak spot I think that requires someone like Virgil van Dijk to just be on it the whole time aware that when he's even when he's not near him he needs to have eyes in the back of his head where's he going to run to what's he planning I just think Benzema's really cunning like that. So if that's what you really mean, Hugh, then I would agree with you.
3: Allison's exactly right. And you know, he's got a whole showreel for this, much of it involving Loris Carius Um but um but I also I think I think I think Hugh, you're right, you've identified a key area, but uh, and and deeper than Vinicius as well. You know, that is the flank where somebody from Real Madrid has got to look after Salah. And It'll fell and Mendy will be at left back, and that's there's quite a big sort of experience difference there between Salah and and Mendy. Um, and and you know, Vinicius is going to have to also be to be slightly conscious of um getting in Salah's way when when Liverpool counter quickly. So, yeah, you know, that's two that's two
1: relatively young players. Yeah, um, bit on it's that in, side. Yeah, it's interesting to say that because I I don't think Salah's form has been great, and if you look at the right back area for Real Madrid and you look at Luis Diaz's form, I'd see that area as more key in terms of Real Madrid's fullbacks. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, Danny Carvajal is is you know has been a
3: a great servant for Madrid. He's a terrific sort of warrior, but he's I think this he would not say that this has been his best season and I think probably overall um, he's on the way down from his peak so uh, yeah I absolutely agree that's um I think Madrid would be would be concerned about about Diaz on that side
1: yeah Right, I need to get your assessments next. Maybe I'll give mine as well about how I think the game will go, but I'm going to start with you guys. Ian, I'll start with you on this. How do you think this match will pan out? Yes, I'm asking you to look deep into the crystal ball.
3: I think um, Liverpool have to be favorites, and I think they there will be periods where they they really do alarm Madrid, you know, with their power, their speed, their press. And I think they will win
1: the Champions League final by one goal. Okay. All right. Ali, what do you think about the, the game itself? What do you think the process will be here? Do you think Liverpool will come out um, and, and dominate Real Madrid? Or do you expect it to be, particularly in the first half, you know, one of those exciting end-to-end Open Champions League games that we've had at times involving Real Madrid this season?
2: I, well, I who knows? I expect Liverpool to come out of the blocks like they haven't done a lot recently but usually do when it's a big game come out of the blocks, blitz Real Madrid and I have seen Real Madrid not cope with that very well at times. So I expect Liverpool to take the lead. I then expect Real Madrid to do what they seem to do a lot in Europe, which is then suddenly make a st- you know a stunning comeback. I don't think Liverpool will be cowed by that. They will be expecting it, even if they concede. And I think the game will begin and end with Liverpool in the ascendancy and Real Madrid will think, think they can, I don't know, exploit some sort of lull in proceedings. It's hard to sort of separate what I want to happen and what I genuinely think will happen. But I'm full of admiration for Real Madrid and how they've got to the final I think they've got to the final in a more romantic and exciting way if I was neutral I might want Real Madrid to win it I think because I think the narrative of them getting there has been astonishing and they've got a lot of players that are just so likeable and admirable I don't know there's something incredibly fatalistic about the way they play and I, I and Jurgen Klopp for all his affability and joking and just being looking like, you know, totally relaxed chap. He's not, I think, you know, he's got neuroscientists in. He's, he's going down every avenue to look at the minutiae of how you do this. I think that approach will, will trump this more sort of fatalistic, we've got what it takes, we're Real Madrid, it'll happen.
1: For me, I think it will come down to massively the central midfield area if Fabinho makes it. That is huge for Liverpool in terms of controlling the game because you look at some of those really experienced uh, heads at, at Real Madrid, Tony Cruz, of course, you've got Luka Modric in there, Casemiro, they've been there, they've done it all before, they've they've got the T-shirt, but also uh, those that have, I think, added energy in their midfield, Valverde and especially Camavinga uh, off the bench in these knockout games in the Champions League, which have added an extra dimension for Real Madrid. But you do get the point, you, you do get the feeling that if... Liverpool's central midfield area allows Real Madrid to take control of the game. It, it could be a long evening. I'm not going to say it's going to be a chastening evening or anything like that, but you don't want Real Madrid to have control at any time. You don't want to feel like... And I know Liverpool can do it. They can break on teams. They can counter... They can score goals for fun. And I know that could change things as well, which makes it in an even more intriguing contest in, in many ways. But I wouldn't want to see, if I was a Liverpool fan, the likes of Luca Modric really settling into a groove in this game. I think if you allow them to, they can hurt you. What, what do you think about the central midfield area in this game, Ian?
3: Yeah, I think you're right. And and I think if you asked Carlo Ancelotti or you know any of his predecessors, they would probably privately say, oh, I wish we had... Tony Kroos and Casemiro of two years ago. I think those two again are probably, you know, they're, they're not they're not quite as energetic and mobile as they used to be. The surprising thing is that Modric, who is a great deal older than both of them, is as I think we've said most weeks on this podcast, immortal. You know, he's <laughs> uh, you know he has he has been magnificent in the Champions League, and and yes, if if Modric starts to take control. Which you won't
1: do for ninety minutes, but yeah, that that would be a very, a very worrying sign for Liverpool. I think it's going to be a great game, great Champions League final, great way to win the season. Allison, you're right. You know, if I were a neutral in this, which I am, obviously, clearly, uh, you know, I would want Real Madrid to <laughs> no, you're win not. as well. Just because, of, what do you mean? What do you mean? I'm like a <laughs> complete neutral in this game. You are fortunate enough, lucky enough to be going to Paris to see this game. As a fan, um, we've got to talk about which shirt selection you're going to go for and, and what are your feelings as a fan going to this game? You know, you, you spoke about your head and your heart. Tell us all about your heart.
4: Oh,
2: well, my heart, my heart. My heart means I sometimes get this thing where there's a game I have to be at as a fan. And because of my job, I can't often act upon it. But this is one of those games. And thank goodness I had that feeling because I booked my Eurostar tickets before Liverpool reached the final. (laughs) Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to go. I know I met, I was at the League Managers Association dinner on Tuesday night, and I met someone who's given back two tickets to the final because he can't get from this island to the continent he can't he can't physically get there everywhere's every route is full he's not going mean, to swim
1: i know we've had i know we've had arguments with the eu but are they still allowing cars to go from the uk to france or is that stopped? Full. they're full oh wow
2: you can't, can't i mean i know people who who are taking vehicles they don't need and don't want just to get on the because <laughs> that was their only route and now that route's full so unless you're prepared to charter a private plane it's like if you've left it too late you've left it too late so i mean everyone who's there supporting liverpool who lives in britain will have been ingenious <laughs> about how they get there mm-hmm. so i don't i mean i don't know what i've done if i'd waited we would waited for it to be definite liverpool in the final and uh, i'm very i'm very fortunate that um, I, I've got some friends who have a flat in Paris when they're letting me stay in their flat. So that means I don't have to pay the astonishing rates they are now charging. That the, All the hotels are asking for you to stay two nights and not one night, even if you don't need two nights. And they've put up their property. Everyone does this. I mean, Liverpool, the city do that when there's a Champions League game on. They put the prices on by about, up about 800%. So it's just turning into this absolute joke to get there and that's even before even before you can um, be sure you've got a ticket i mean it's it's just like it, it's it's like a sort of a job in itself it's, you know it's like a holy grail situation it's just been obsessing me for weeks and weeks and weeks but i am going as a fan i head off on friday Come back on Sunday. I'll be talking to you on the podcast on Monday and I'll probably be unbearable.
1: What does it mean? I know this will sound like a strange question. It's a Champions League final. Every football fan, I I imagine, one day wants to win it if they haven't and if they already have, wants to win as many as as possible. But... um... Uh, you, Liverpool have been so dominant recently. It is such a great period for Liverpool. They have won a Champions League very, very recently. They don't need to win this Champions League final, I think, for people to feel like they have been a brilliant side. As a fan, you, you, you of course, went through those periods where you weren't winning loads of trophies and maybe you think, when will be the next one? And maybe maybe that means you're absolutely desperate, but, um, but let's put it into this context. If you lose that Champions League final, You will still walk away from that match, I mean, I'm not going to say feeling delighted, but safe in the knowledge that Liverpool will continue to be one of the best clubs in football. Or would you feel a bit like a Tottenham fan when you beat them a few years ago in that, oh my word, we lost the Champions League final, heartbroken, this may never happen again, we may never be here again. How how would you feel?
2: No, I wouldn't think, oh, we'll never be here again. No, absolutely Entitlement. not. Entitlement, all right? No, no, no. That's just having having faith and confidence in in your manager and the way the club's set up at the moment. No, I wouldn't. And but I would. I would be very sad if Liverpool lost and they played disappointingly. I mean, that would be the thing. If it's a thrilling game, uh, you know, it's a thrilling game. Both teams play the best they can play, and it just turns out that. Real Madrid edge it I'm not going to be distraught I'll be more upset if it's just you know for some reason it doesn't come together we just don't turn up and play the football that we can play you you just use the word entitled Hugh and I actually think that's really fair of you to say that because my childhood was all about really most of the time it was about Liverpool in Europe I didn't really care too much about Domestic football. (laughs) It was all about Europe and listening to games on the radio when I'd been told to go to bed. So I'd put the radio on and put the covers over my head and listen to commentary from, you know, what seemed like really exotic locations. Although now I'm a grown up, I realize they're not. (laughs) But, you know, just feeling there's just something just about the way you're brought up. It's just that's at the heart of my love for Liverpool. that sense of showing off, showing off Liverpool to the rest of Europe. Look at us. I, it's just it's an innate thing. I mean, I didn't question it when I was young. So, and I, and I don't know, but I think probably a lot of fans, certainly of my vintage, would feel the same way. It just seems to I wouldn't say it matters more than it would to someone else, but it matters differently. The FA Cup final, you know, I didn't care really, not really. But this, I really care about.
1: Okay, finally, I don't know if I got an answer to this. What will the shirt selection be for the weekend?
2: Oh, it's very. I haven't decided yet. No, I've got my famous. I have, as you know, I, I own the shirt that Steven Gerrard wore the the night he was made captain by Liverpool, and that's given to me as a birthday present by Gerard Houllier. And I've never washed it, so it still has magical powers. That is a possibility because it's gone with me to other European finals, but it's not always been a successful shirt. Mm. So, but I've I've got I've also got a shirt which I put on, although I say I didn't care too much, I did wear it for the um the FA Cup final. Um, the shirt that I wore <laughs> when I when I played at Anfield. So it's got my name on the back. And I've always thought I wanted to be invisible, really, when I go to a game. I don't really want to say, "Look at me!" It's Alison Rudd in that. I didn't want to do that, but but you know, it's been lucky this season, so maybe I don't know. Mm. It's between those two, I think, or maybe one of my Crown paints retros. I haven't decided
1: yet. Well, it's all important, Alison. Get it wrong. I know, I know. know. Get it wrong.
2: It's very serious.
1: the result. You know how it goes. Um,
2: I might take take several.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. For last-minute decision as you bolt out the door for the game, Um, Alison Rudd. Listen. Good luck with the Champions League final this weekend. I, I mean that sincerely. We want you to be uh, joining us on Monday with tears of joy rather than disappointment. Okay, And we're going to reflect, of course we will on Monday, on that big Champions League final between Liverpool and Real Madrid. You know I love a prediction. Ian Hawkey, what score? 2-1 um, Liverpool. Allison,
2: 4-3 Liverpool.
1: Wow. So the greatest Champions League final of all time, probably. Um, Why not? I am going to go 4-1 Liverpool. I've had this feeling in the pit of my stomach for a long time that um, that Liverpool will will show their absolute best against Real Madrid and some of the older, more creaking Real Madrid players will, will finally succumb. So anyway, we'll see what happens. I'm also putting a bit of money on Gareth Bale winner because that's just what he does. So we'll see if he comes off the bench uh, <laughs> right at the death in extra time as well. Um, up next, we're going to talk a little bit more about European football. Big stories at both Roma and PSG. Stay with us. Roma won their first major European trophy this week by beating Feyenoord in the inaugural Europa Conference League final in Albania, the club's first European trophy, as I say, their first since 2008 in any shape or form, and it comes in Jose Mourinho's first season as their manager. I found this stat to be quite strange. Obviously, it's the first Europa Conference League final. But officially, he is the first manager to win all of UEFA's major European trophies as well. They finished sixth in Serie A in the league, 23 points behind the leaders. Jose Mourinho's teams have gone 423 minutes since conceding a goal in major European finals over several clubs, of course. Ian, where does this rank amongst Jose Mourinho's great achievements? Uh, One thing, it didn't irk me at the end of the game. I don't want to be a Jose Mourinho hater, but you had all these Roma fans, you know, in tears about it being their first European trophy, and it's their first since 2008. And you had Jose Mourinho running around holding the number five in the air because it was all about his five. And I found that really strange, actually, because he's meant to be Roma through and through these days. That's what he tells us. So it should have been about the club, but it felt like it was more about him. Anyway, where did you think it ranked amongst his great achievements?
3: Certainly not at the very top, because we'll have a perspective on the Conference League after a few years, but you are calling it a major trophy, which it technically is, but it is the third tier competition. I'm sorry to throw a dampener on the whole thing. And also Jose Mourinho has achieved some really great things. As as Jose Mourinho was eager to point out last night, Porto winning the Champions League, it looks more and more astonishing that the more time goes on, you know, that's Mm. the only club from outside the big four leagues this century to win a Champions League. Inter winning the Champions League was quite something. And in fact, his last European trophy... Hugh, you might be able to put a perspective on this, was one with Manchester United. It it was,
1: yes. Remember
3: them? (laughs) Yeah. So maybe, you know, maybe behind Porto and Inter. Because, because as you say, it's been a long time for Roma, but um, it is the Conference League.
1: I, I, listen, I got absolutely slammed for saying I don't think the Europa Conference League is a major European trophy. This is a while back, actually, about a month ago, on social media. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I facted in many things. I said I think a competition needs history as well for us to to care about it a little bit more. And obviously, you know, the Conference League just can't have that yet. It's it's in its first year. But I also, you know, I offered the question well, if UEFA for bringing a fourth tier European competition and a fifth tier, would they also be major European trophies? I mean, I don't know how far down the line you go with, with major trophies or whether it matters because ultimately, you know, the team that wins the championship or wins the National League, you know, they put in a lot of hard work. They've played the best in their respective, you know, division, if you like, or competition or tournament. And, They've won it and it means a lot to them. So they're all major in a way. Again, I, I may be sort of taking away from Roma's achievements here. <laughs> and I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that because, again, if you watch those pictures last night and you saw what it meant to the players in tears and the fans as well. And by the way, there should have been many, many more fans in that stadium. That's another story. That I think Roma fans are looking to a bright future with Jose Mourinho, who has committed his future. He said he is going to be staying with Roma how, how big is that for the club is in
3: it's a big deal and, and he has done what it said on the packet you know we he was presented to Roma as born winner Jose Mourinho and of course he, he hasn't won much in the last five years but you know he's done that he's taken them over a really important long barrier by by winning a trophy um he's the best paid manager in italy and it has been pointed out by a lot of italians that perhaps the best paid manager in italy sh- should be higher than sixth in syria so you know it has been a mixed first season this this makes it a successful first season and he is staying which means there will be all sorts of squabbling with with the board about signings over the summer that's to be guaranteed um but you know the good things he's and a, and a little shout out here for you know, for the English Brigade at Roma. I mean, Tammy mm. Abraham has been a massive success and marino has got a lot to do with that. Man of the match last night, Chris Smalling. Yes. Which, which was which was nice. Smallvini, as they call him.
2: Ian, why do you think that someone like Tammy Abraham, not good enough for a top six team in England, did very well when he was on loan in the Championship, did... And he's doing very well in Syria. Are, are we to conclude that Syria is just overall a peg down on what you get week in, week out in the Premier League, and he's just not quite tough enough for it?
3: I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you that Syria is um, significantly less competitive than the Premier League at the moment. I'd, sl- I'd say that the Tammy Abraham story is a moving story. Uh, you know, how old is he? He's still in his early twenties, isn't he? So I, you know, I think, I think he's got better than he was when he was in the championship, and probably better than he was a year ago when he was, you know, way down the pecking order at at Chelsea. And you know, there, there there are aspects of his his game you can you can really admire and think, yes, perhaps they've come on because there's a little bit more time on the ball in a typical uh syria match and and that sort of thing so i mean you know i think he's on the up as well as um as well as being in in perhaps a a less competitive league
2: but romelu lukaku was dominant in syria and looks lost a lot of the time
3: in the premier league uh yes good evidence yes
2: i grew up being told and then watching for myself, you know, if you want to watch the, the best, the very best defenders, the very best defensive systems, you watch Italian football. They know how to defend, and and yet, and yet, if you if you're a striker, you're going to have a lot of fun in Italy. You're not going to have a lot of fun in England.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, well, t- times uh, times have certainly changed um, since young Ellison was watching half <laughs> <laughs> um, uh football. Uh, yeah, and it, 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 yes, um, Romelu Lukaku, Edin Zecco, You know, there's there are there are there are goal scorers who are thriving there, who who or, or have thrived there, who might not thrive so much um, in the Premier League. That's for sure. I think probably yeah, the 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 sort of watermark of Italian defending is is not what it was. It's also harder to be a a defender now, because the rules have changed since
1: very young Allison was watching Serie A. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I just wonder what sort of steps forward Jose Mourinho could make. I know it will come down to the transfer window as well. Um, but there are some big clubs in Italy. I, I, I would I, I would find it really sensational if Roma can break into that Champions League once again and and Challenge for the title. I mean, the title, you know, AC Milan won it this year. You you sometimes feel with Italy that it's up for grabs. The Juventus were fourth. They haven't had a great time in the last couple of years. But I don't, I don't know if you could... Could you see what, what... I mean, what would it take for Roma to get in the conversation for the title? Do you think, Ian? Could, could Jose do it? I totally agree with you. I think any anyone and, and a lot of managers out of work managers are thinking
3: this that this this looks like a, a winnable league, you know, for for a for a club in the top six or seven. Mourinho's big complaint this season is that that's that he's he's had a, a workable first eleven and then not much beyond that. I think even the the current first eleven, it's hard to see them competing with with Inter say who you know have a, a better squad. But I, I think if you know if they if they choose widely perhaps get a bit more creativity in midfield. Yeah, they absolutely should be at least in the top four. I think if they're not in the top four by this time next year, then, and Jose Mourinho is still there, which is always a question mark. Um,
1: yeah, he will, he, he will have fallen short. Okay, we'll see how things pan out with Roma, but congratulations to Roma fans uh, for that first trophy since 2008, winning the inaugural Europa Conference League. And congratulations to France forward Kylian Mbappe, who is now richer than Rich. Uh, He has agreed to stay at Paris Saint-Germain. He's turned down a move to Real Madrid. He extends his contract by three years with the French champion, and it's reported that he will now earn £42.5 million a year in addition to... Uh, to a bonus of 153 million pounds for staying at PSG, where he now, uh, it's reported, also has 100% control of his image rights. That, by the way, is not even the biggest contract ever handed out. So, you know, uh, Lionel Messi has earned more previously at Barcelona, not earning as much as Mbappe right now at PSG. I was stunned by this. I couldn't think of a real reason to stay at Paris Saint-Germain. I know he's spoken about being French. Obviously that's a big one for Kylian Mbappe and wanting to achieve great things with PSG. Yes, I I, I get it, but um, it might have boiled down to money. What do you think, Ian?
3: I think that money was a factor. And I I do think genuinely there were pressures from the kind of sources that might have surprised Mbappe. I I, I think it's an exaggeration to say it became a matter of state, but... That, you know the whole, you know, this is for France narrative that went around it. I, I mean, I do, I do think that um, that the relationship between Qatar, from where PSG is funded, and and France was slightly brought to bear on the whole thing, um, and it was very, very important, not just for Paris Saint Germain, but but for Qatar, where the World Cup is going to be hosted, that one of their their figureheads is is going to be in Qatar as a PSG employee. But yes, clearly the money also also had a role. And and I, I think there is there is a legacy argument for Mbappe. You know, players do care about their legacy. They look after it. And if Mbappe can be the figure who delivers a first European Cup to Paris Saint-Germain and then a few more, you know, so he becomes, I don't know, like the Alfredo Di Stefano of 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 PSG's history. I think that probably does count for something. And and it's and you know it's it's viable it's possible that that
1: he could do that. Alison, I've got to ask you about this contract or at least what's being reported um, that the contract gave Kylian Mbappe the power to influence transfers, sat the club's manager, appoint the sporting director of his choice. Um, he he says he won't go above the role of a footballer. But, but I, I wonder what you thought even these reports and this contract say about where football's heading.
2: Well, it's it, this is this is almost funny because PSG are the architects of the reasons why they will never be the leading club in Europe. You have a collection of players who... Because PSG are nouveau riche, therefore they have to attract players with more money than another club might need to attract them. So you have a lot of spoiled brats basically playing for you who have been courted. And I don't know how much of the leaked stuff about his contract is true, but let's assume that half of it is, half of it is too much. You, you, you If you blur the boundaries of what your role is as a player and what your role is as someone who has influence at the club, it's not going to work. It really is not going to work. You know, there's a, there's a, it's just ridiculous they will never succeed while they feel they have to pander to to the agents and personalities of these people it's it's just ridiculous and that's why they'll never they'll never be successful even if i you know what ian was talking about legacy and so on and that might all be true just think about what that dressing room will look like what the new manager will be thinking Successive new managers will be thinking they all leave. Managers all leave PSG, just absolutely relieved to get get out of there because it's just so difficult to do the job properly. The clubs that are successful are the ones where, yes, you have players with egos and greedy agents and entourages that are too big, but it's really clear who's in charge and that there's a clear philosophy at the club and plan a plan for the future and that plan isn't just let's collect as many star names as possible and pay over the odds for them and if they want extra power written into their deals they can have it look at Liverpool for example there is this avuncular image but it's very clear you know who the father figure is you know some people don't like the way Klopp hugs everybody but actually that's a very good way of letting people know the hierarchy they're sort of His children, they listen to him, he's in charge. There can be lots of love and so on, but there's a hierarchy there and no player is bigger than the club. As soon as you have a player who sounds bigger than the club, that doesn't help morale, camaraderie, the intangibles you need to be a great team and work together. So they've been crowing about it and showing off about the fact that they've got one up on Real Madrid, but actually, the winner is Real Madrid.
1: Interesting. Very interesting, Alison Rudd. Listen, there is a lot going on at Paris Saint-Germain. Leonardo, Mauricio Pochettino, Ian Hawkey. Are there changes that have been brought about by Kylian Mbappe's contract, either on the horizon or have happened already?
3: If Kylian Mbappe really is the new chief executive, which we've been led to believe, he hasn't done a very good job so far. They, de- they can't attract the manager they want. They've just waved goodbye to the you know, the best supplier of long passes, which is what Mbappe lives on, and Heldi Maria. So I think he might resign as chief executive quite quickly. Uh, the Pochettino situation is is very interesting. It is assumed that he will go. It's been assumed for the best part of a year he will go. But Mbappe has quite a good relationship with him. So, you know, that will be, that will be quite interesting to see what happens. Their ideal choice would be Zinedine Zidane, who's not straining at the leash to to join them. And beyond that, they're slightly scrabbling around really for for a new manager. Um, Leonardo uh, was always going to leave. He's 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 had quite an abrasive relationship with players, managers, and so on. Um, so that will be a significant difference, I think. Um, and I think possibly we will see fewer of the symptoms that Alison described of this slightly chaotic unbalanced hierarchy. The really interesting one will be Neymar. Mm. You know, whether Neymar now uh, falls into to line under under the Mbappe regime, <laughs> as you have to call it, <laughs> or, you know, or starts, um, starts feeling he wants to go somewhere else or starts feeling as if he's being pushed somewhere else. I'm not sure if he's got that many choices of places to go to, you know, to, to be at the same sort of elite level but um but yeah that the, the the change in the hierarchy as far as it affects Neymar is 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 i think a- it's going to be an interesting story for the next few months.
1: Absolutely, it is. um Ian Hawkey, Alison Rudd, thank you for joining me on the Game Podcast. There is more still to come. We'll be talking about the Championship uh, playoff final uh, once again. Alison, good luck with that Champions League final. Hope the nerves are okay this weekend. Don't drink too much. You know, we know what you like. All right, all right. Just behave yourself. <laughs> and Ian, enjoy right, the final you. too. Absolutely. I'll speak to you both on Monday. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Let's talk Manchester United next. As Eric Ten Hag is unveiled at the club, he spoke to the media for the first time. Paul Hurst from the Times was there. Uh, Hursty, tell us about Eric Ten Hag. Your first impressions. He says he wants to take the club back to winning big titles. What did you make of his character?
5: I thought he was very personable, very charming. Came out then uh, walked through the door and immediately kind of shook hands with everyone there uh, which might seem a minor thing but you know some managers are quite reluctant to get on with the media but he he, i think he wants to get along with those and walks in i think he probably knows that obviously the winning the kind of media battle is is part of being a man united manager with um when you think that the club think they've, they've got 1.1 billion fans or followers across the world, then people are going to be hanging on every word that he says through the media and through social media, etc. So he wanted to make a good impression on us. And some of his answers were quite short. I got the impression that he held back on some aspects of of what he, in particular, what he thought about the current United squad. He was asked about the the performance in the one nil defeat at palace and he was obviously at Sellhurst park and he he didn't really really say much on it he said i will analyze the game and you know anyone who was there or has seen that match would have known that seeing that united are you know it was a poor performance and losing in that manner you know it's unacceptable and obviously it's not been the first time that's happened but um but yeah he was clear and concise uh, i think he was the opposite of ralph Rangnick, who was just like an open book in front of the media uh, that's probably what the club want. They probably don't want the manager calling out players or criticizing players in the press. I think he wants a, a sort of harmonious United um, United squad.
1: Do you think he's charismatic enough to galvanize Manchester United? Because you look at Guardiola and and Klopp and even Tuchel and Conte. You know there is something about their demeanor that seems to. Uh, I guess energized might not be the wrong word. Might be the wrong word at times, you know. But it does seem to to transfer onto the pitch and around the club their demeanour. You know, if Eric Ten Hag's demeanour transfers around Manchester United, is that is that going to be a good thing when you compare them to the other big figures in the league?
5: I think you say that, but I remember Pep Guardiola's first press conference at Man City, and he was really. Um, you know he wasn't very um, expressive at all he was really nervous he was like tapping his foot and banging the table and tapping the table and he was re- really kind of withdrawn so i don't think it was much different to what um ten Hag was like yesterday uh, on monday sorry i i, I think from speaking from the people i've spoken to he's a lot more comfortable talking off camera um to people and that is obviously the most important thing isn't it when it comes to the to the squad, I think they will feel his charisma in, you know, and feel his personality on the training pitch. Um He's not afraid to to um, uh, give his opinion. He's he's quite a straight talker, um, but he's also got that ability to to sense when people need a lift and put their arm put their arm around his uh, put his arm around their shoulder. And that's what he's got to work out over the next few weeks, I guess. Which which players need. A bit of a lift and which uh, you know which which of them need um, need to kick up the backside
1: yeah i mean look we're gonna find out aren't we what he does with this squad there were some questions asked about the future of cristiano ronaldo
5: how did he deal with those it was again very straightforward he was asked um what will cristiano ronaldo bring to the team next season and he replied goals <laughs> that was it um mm. and then he was asked as a follow-up will he be part of your plans next season and he said of course so uh, yeah, he'll he'll be there. He'll be the main striker next season. Just from talking to people around or who know Ten Hag, uh, when I went to Holland last month to do a, a profile piece on him, he, he does like you know energetic players who press. And Ronaldo doesn't fit that bill. So you know he, he'll have to he'll have to change his playing style, I guess, to to satisfy the manager. He'll have to will have to press. There's you know there's no getting getting out of it uh, with Ten Hag the problem that united have got if, if they wanted to get rid of ronaldo and if he wanted to go you'd have to find someone who's willing to pay him you know 400 500 pounds a week and there's no one out there will do that he's got one more year left on his contract the, that contract can be extended by another year i think the club have got the option on on that um but i, I don't think that'll happen so i think he'll probably just have to you know stay with ronaldo for another year um and then then try and find a younger, more dynamic striker for the following season.
1: What about Harry Maguire's future as captain? I mean, I should be asking maybe about his future at the club as well, given his performances, but there has been an issue around leadership at Manchester United. Did he give any sort of indication as
5: whether he would back Harry Maguire? He was interested on Maguire. He was very, very fulsome in his praise of Maguire, but he wouldn't confirm that he'd be captain next season. He was asked that directly, will Maguire be captain? And Ten Hag said, next season is a different season, but he did a great job. He's a great player and he's already achieved a lot Uh, he's made a big contribution to Man United so I'm looking forward to working with him Uh, there's no definitive response in there that says yes he will have the armband next season is there and it was interesting that Ralph Ragnick was saying a few weeks ago that if it was up to him he'd have a a vote and um, that's what they do at Man City the the players and staff Um, all vote for for the captain so it'd be interesting to see if um if ten hard goes down that route um I agree that there is a lack of leadership there throughout the squad so there's not that many alternatives is there you know maybe de gea but he's not not much of a shouter is he's not much of a an outgoing person he's quite withdrawn bruno fernandez is an outgoing person he likes calling people out but he's not had a great season so Will he have that respect of the uh, of the dressing room, and then, uh, and then you know you've got Ronaldo who will you know may well be off at the end of next season. So there aren't a lot of long term options there.
1: The other thing I wanted to ask finally about Eric Ten Hag's press conference is expectations at Manchester United. I mean, this is something that I constantly try and dampen in my professional life and my private (laughs) life. You know, people believing that Manchester United should be. You know, even next season, back up there, maybe not challenging for the title, but certainly more comfortable in terms of the Champions League places. Something I think is still a couple of seasons off. Maybe they'll reach top four next year, but I don't think they'll be comfortable. How does Eric Ten Hag see the future as Manchester United boss? Because I think he said he wanted to win every game. That's the approach, as
5: it should be at a club of that magnitude. But is that a realistic message to send out? It was interesting. Some of his answers were quite you know, quite positive about the, um, about the future of the club, but it, it, it was a long-term, it, it, that, that was a message for the long-term. In terms of the, the short-term, I don't think he expects United to be challenging Man City and Liverpool for the league next season, which is, you know, realistic, given that they were 35 points behind City. Um, he said, I thought one of his most interesting quotes was, I'm not a dreamer, I live day by day. We have to recognise the situation that we're in. And they are, you know, they're light years behind City and United, uh, City and Liverpool. So he he's aware of that. He knows that, that getting top two next season is is pretty much impossible. I, I agree with you. Top four, if they get top four next season, he's done a good job, and he should be should be praised for that. If it happens, uh, given how far they are back at the moment. Um, but in terms of like long term, he did say that he he hoped, that someone and obviously hopes that's United will be able to break the the domination of Liverpool and and City but yeah I I get the impression that he knows that it's not going to be a quick fix
1: we shall see we shall see Paul Hurst thank you for joining me in tempering those Manchester United expectations (laughs) appreciate it this weekend at Wembley we will have the EFL championship playoff final I mean it's usually well it was, was at one time billed as the 100 million pound game I mean I don't know it's I think it's up to about 160 million pound game at this point in time it is of huge significance to the future of whoever wins it Huddersfield Town taking on Nottingham Forest Nottingham Forest have not been in the top flight for 23 years Huddersfield have had a couple of years away and transformed themselves. In fact, both clubs have transformed themselves under their managers in recent times. The Huddersfield boss, Carlos Corboran, and Steve Cooper at Nottingham Forest. And it should be a cracking game. Charlotte Dunker from The Times joins us to look ahead to it. Charlotte, let's start by talking about how these two sides are going to match up, shall we? as I say, really intriguing and, and high-quality coaches in, in already short-term careers who have already produced two very good sides this season. It's going to be tight.
6: Yeah, I think it is. And I think if you, you look at the way that the both of the semi-finals went, Huddersfield just edging past Luton and then um, Forrest looked like after the, uh, they should really have beaten Sheffield United probably about 5-0 after that first leg. But then um, United fought back in the second leg and like you say, if based on what we saw in the, the semi-finals, it should be a tight contest. They both play similar systems, three at the back, heavily relying on the, their wing backs to create those chances for them and they've both got two goalkeepers as well who have been in fantastic form. So, I think it is going to be, be a tight game. I expect um, Huddersfield, as we've seen them play this season, to not be cagey but they like to eke out those 1-0 victories, those tight results, whereas the attacking threat that we've seen from, from Forest recently has been has been fantastic but for me I thought Forrest looked a bit nervous at the city ground I think that's what allowed Sheffield United to get back in the game especially in the second half so I think that might give Huddersfield confidence that they can definitely go to Wembley and make sure they're the ones that are back in the Premier League next season. Um,
1: well, uh, there are some good players to look out for in both of these teams mm-hmm. who should we keep our eyes on in particular this weekend?
6: I think the, the two we were to, I was talking about wing backs there and you've got Spence who plays for um, Forrest and then you've also got Sorba Thomas and maybe it's going to be a, a tale of the two of them to s- see who can be the most creative and get their team over the line. Uh, for me, I think Sorba Thomas has probably edged it over, over Spence over this course of the season. He's had 12 assists, three goals for Huddersfield. And also one of the big positives for him is that um for Huddersfield, sorry, is that he signed a new long-term deal to keep him at mm. the club till 2026. So if you look, there's obviously they don't know what their fate is going to be, Premier League championship next season, but to have someone that has been so key for them in this campaign. To have already committed themselves to keep with that project regardless of what happens i think is really positive and then if you look on uh, forest i think spence there's been plenty of interest from him i think borough probably if they've got much sense will look to cash in on him there's lots of um high, he's a high profile at the moment he's been linked with many clubs mainly spurs at the moment it's, is what I'm seeing. And he's just been called up for the England under-21s, which is um, justification for his displays this season. He's got five goals and two assists, so not as many as Thomas, but in the system that Forest play, he's definitely one of their strongest attacking threats. So it could be a, a tale of the uh, the wing backs at the weekend.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Listen, loads of those Forest players. I think they had three in the team of the season, but mm-hmm. Joe Worrell, who was in it, there's interest for him, the centre-back. Uh, West Ham United, most interested. Brennan Johnson, who's been key all season. We've got to keep an eye on him as well. Nottingham Forest turned down 18 million in January for him. Now Leicester City, I mean, that was Brentford in January. Now Leicester City are being linked with him as well. He will have loads of suitors if Nottingham Forest aren't promoted. So will the manager, Steve Cooper, who's transformed things. Remember, Forest didn't win any of their first eight games of the championship season. Chris Hewton was sacked. They had one draw and seven defeats in those games. The fact that they came so close to automatic promotion was incredible, but it is huge for the club as a whole if Nottingham Forest can come up. It would be too for Huddersfield Town, who are punching you know, well above what they've done 20th last season. They've, they're punching well above their weight in terms of of finances even though they've come down from the premier league not too long ago as well i think it's going to be a sensational final it's difficult to call um charlotte if you had to predict anything happening this weekend what would you go for
6: I was confident before when I looked at the way the semi-final draws had gone I thought Forrest nailed on to go up but having seen the way they performed in the second leg against Sheffield United I don't know whether it was the nerves or the occasion that got to them so I'm going to go for Huddersfield narrow victory
1: oh wow okay look it's going to be big I think it might <laughs> go down to penalties as well Bree Samba who saved it, the shootout penalties against Sheffield United could be called on Lee Nichols, who was the the the, uh, championship goalkeeper of the season in goal for Huddersfield as well. They could be called upon later. We could have another great championship playoff final that goes right down to the wire. Charlotte Dunker, thank you for joining us from the Times. Thank you all for listening as well. We will, of course, react to that. Uh, on monday's podcast remember if you uh want to rate us leave us a review then please do that you can also subscribe to the times and the sunday times right now sign up today it's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game and we will see you very soon take care